So my first guest uh, this evening is Michelle Rabine, the manager of the Moab Mosquito Abatement District. Michelle, is there anything else uh, you would like to add to that uh, introduction uh, for our community? Um, no, I mean, I think that's good. I do have, um, I have my PhD in environmental science and I've been doing a lot of research on mosquitoes um, for a few years now. So hopefully I can help answer some questions uh, that you might have for me. Okay, great. Thank you so much for being with us. So I wanted uh, Michelle on this week in Moab tonight because um, there has been a bit of a flutter in our community about um, some fogging that's been happening. Um, Mm -hmm. It's for a very specific mosquito that was detected um, in the Moab Valley. Can you tell us first about uh, this type, this mosquito? Sure. So the mosquito that recently appeared is called Aedes aegypti. It's an invasive mosquito. Um, The last time it was seen, or I should say the first and last time it was seen in Moab was in 2019. Um, So we did not, the district didn't find it at all in 2020. Um, So we're not entirely sure if this was a new introduction uh, that came into Moab. And so we found it about a couple weeks ago um, where it started as just, you know, one adult mosquito, but they can lay up to 100 eggs at a time. So now we definitely reached up into that 100 number um, of this mosquito, and it's different than other types of native species that we have here in Moab in that it it's a more domesticated form of mosquito. So this one um, has learned in a way to enter people's homes. Mm. So it can be found inside and outside of the home. Um, it's a container breeding mosquito, so its eggs uh, essentially stick like glue to the sides of anything that can hold water and that will be filled up with water. Um, okay. So it's in, it's important, you know, to make sure that getting water is not around. Now, it's also um, probably good to, to note that this mosquito can carry uh, various viruses. Do you mind talking about that? Sure. So Aedes aegypti um, is able to transmit Zika, Dengue, Chikungunya, as well as Yellow Fever virus. Um, so as some people might know already, um, there's currently no vaccine or medicines to treat Zika or chikungunya. And of course, you know, dengue and yellow fever are also very serious as well. Um, and a lot of times people have long lasting uh, chronic illnesses and symptoms from some of these viruses. So it's important to try and knock out this mosquito when we can. So the Moab Mosquito Abatement District um, discovered this type of mosquito, the Aedes aegypti, in, um, the, in our area. Um, once that happened, you know, I think um, some of the public comment that has been going about in recent weeks uh, has been, hey, I, I don't notice any mosquitoes. <laughs> Why are they <laughs> right. fogging? So tell us about the decision to actually spray um, insecticide for these mosquitoes in the downtown area. Right. So the moment that we had identified um, an Aedes aegypti from our trap, we decided to go ahead and do a fogging um, and we want to try and treat this mosquito um, aggressively now uh, so we can help prevent, you know, these future foggings and things like that if we can uh, later on down the line. Um, and since this mosquito does, you know, is capable of transmitting these type of viruses, we want to make sure that we don't have this established population in our area, especially with so many people coming in and out of Moab. Um, and, you know, it, somebody could be traveling from outside of the country or outside of the state that could be infected, and all it takes is one person or one mosquito. So 
that's why we're, you know, we took the decision to go ahead and do these foggings to target specifically Aedes aegypti. Okay. Um, and how how many times has has there been fogging events? Um, so we've done it twice so far this year. There was one on September third and September seventh. Um, do does the district expect expect to do any more? Right now, we don't have any more planning to do um, truck fogging. Uh, we'll probably focus a lot on surveillance uh, as well as uh, hand treatments and things like that for this mosquito. Okay. And can you t- talk a little bit about the public um, input or feedback um, that the district has received about um, fogging this year? It seems it seemed to be um, more vocal than in past years. Sure. So I've had a handful of people, um, you know, just with concerns about us doing the adulticides and the fogging. Um, and, you know, there are people, too, that have been thanking us for, you know, keeping up mosquito control, especially with this type of mosquito. But you know, what I can say is that at the end of the day, we're just trying to protect people's health and make sure that we're keeping their health in mind um, and especially being able to try to abate as best we can this mosquito, especially try to reduce the chance of one of these serious viruses from coming in and circulating around our population. Um, so, you know, it's just uh, trying to help them understand that we're doing as best we can just to try and, and help everybody out uh, with their health and um, their health in the long run. So it's my understanding that the 80s Egypti mosquito has been expanding its range. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's coming from places um, that have warmer climates like Florida or um, Texas. Is that correct? Yeah. Yep. And um, because of this expansion, which, you know, is in part due to climate change, um, it does seem like this could be in our future. Um, do you do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I do think, you know, whether it was now or a couple years from now, I, I do think that eventually this mosquito would have, if it wouldn't have come now, um, would have appeared here. Um, you know, not just climate change, but the cities are growing and urbanization and things like that. So mm-hmm. there's a lot of different factors. Um, but, you know, as, as we're doing the best we can for this season, and hopefully we don't see too much of it next year. Um, but if we do, we'll go ahead and plan accordingly for that. Yeah, and about that plan. So listeners, we're speaking to Michelle Raybine, manager of the Moab Mosquito Abatement District. Um, Michelle is talking about um, the 80s Egypti uh, mosquito that they've discovered uh, this year. You know, with long-term planning, um, are there alternatives um, to fogging, or is that the way forward? Um, you know, what is the what are some solutions if this population does get established? Yeah, so, you know, we try and take into consideration the different um, life stages that we do find. So in this instance, the very first life stage we found was the adult here. So, you know, we went ahead and we did that action to do adult deciding. Mm-hmm. Um, for, you know, long-term planning, of course, we're, you know, we always try and do uh, focus on larvicides and the larval surveillance first. Um, but if there's any that do miss the larviciding, um, we'll have to treat accordingly and do some type of adulticide. Um, but in terms of next season and for seasons to come, you know, we're definitely going to try and focus on our trapping so we can see where exactly any of these adults might be, where larvae 
um, past the eggs might be setting around people's homes and yards mm. um, and focusing on that and as well as chatting and talking with other abatement districts not just locally in our region but in the surrounding areas that have dealt with this mosquito for at least a couple years um, due to just like you said you know expanding range so hopefully with a combination of that we're going to get a good plan set in place. Okay so there will be some some long-term planning now that this mosquito seems to be here at least for this season. Yeah. Yeah the larva sighting how do you how do you detect um, where this mosquito is laying its eggs? Um, I imagine it might be different than the native mosquitoes um, that appear in the wetlands. Sure, yeah. So it is slightly different. A lot of the native ones, like you said, are found in uh, the wetland areas, you know, more of natural environments. Um, they can as well, you know, breed around residential areas. But this mosquito, the Aedesigipti specifically, um, is it, it can be anywhere. So the crews go out and we check everything from uh, flower pots to tin cans or, you know, pet dishes, things like that. And they'll go through, they'll comb everything and they'll just check and, um, you know, dump water or they'll take a sample. So if they do see any little wrigglers around in the water, we have something called uh, dippers. Mm. And so they'll dip the water, they'll take samples, and we bring it back to our biologist to confirm and identify exactly what species it is. Um, and then we go ahead and treat accordingly for that. Okay. Um, Michelle, thank you so much for being here with us. Um, you're, I know you're talking to us before the next um, area mosquito abatement district meeting. Mm-hmm. Um, if I, It sounds like there is a lot of public interest in being part or better understanding how the district makes certain decisions like to fog. Um, mm-hmm. You know, can the public get involved in long-range planning or where is that, that input um, needed or, or wanted? Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a conversation um, that I would love to have with those that are interested in, in helping us out, help the community out. Um, you know, whether that's volunteering with us to help do educational outreach, because we really want to try and get some more of that going, um, or, you know, simple things like handing out flyers or to help spread the word to their neighbors, their family and friends about, you know, empty standing water or things like that. Um, or if they want to, you know, try and help us do inspections and stuff like that, that's always welcome. And we have, we can have that conversation um, as well if they're interested. Yeah. And like we've been saying, the 80s Egypti sounds like once it gets established, it's hard to get rid of um, some mm-hmm. things that people on their own properties, whether that's their homes, commercial, they're renting, what what can they do to make sure that this mosquito isn't going to overwinter with us? So what uh, anybody can do is just step outside, um, you know, just scan their yard, um, their front yards, their backyards, wherever, their driveways. If they have an irrigation system and, and water seems to puddle somewhere, you know, check that, maybe adjust your irrigation system, uh, dump out anything that's standing water, scrub things like if you have a bird bath you know make sure you're refreshing the water on that a couple times a week as well as scrubbing it since these eggs can stick to sides and bottoms of containers um and just you know check things like uh your roof gutters or you know if it's clogged or um even cleaning out your if you have an evaporative cooler cleaning that out since the water does collect and if there's uh, a hole you know seal it up and same thing with sealing windows and doors or having screens to make sure they don't enter your home. So it's just even simple stuff like that can really make a huge difference. Mm. 
Yeah, and we know that this mosquito is here. We know that it can transmit certain diseases. How do we know mm-hmm. if disease is here, though? Um, we'll, we'll have to do testing for that, and whether that's through um, one of the state health departments or one of the state labs. Um, we do have some plans to do something like that um, either this fall or winter, as well as uh, some type of genetic analysis to see if it was a new introduction or if it uh, somehow you know ended up from some of the same brood from 2019. Okay. Thanks so much, Michelle. I know you have to go in just a few minutes. Um, Mm -hmm. One thing that I didn't get to ask you about just yet is um, the fogging itself. I know that it's been done twice and the Moab Mosquito Abatement District doesn't um, yet have plans for another one as of this moment. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Yes, that's true, yeah. (laughs) Okay, but potentially, you know, if if it does occur again, you know, uh, can you tell us what is in this insecticide and and how it might affect um, humans or animals or other insects? Sure. So the adulticide that we use is called Biomist. Um, What we do is a ULV fox that's an ultra-low volume. Uh, So it gets dispersed with very small and very fine droplets that target specifically the adult mosquito. Um, so it's a pyrethroid, uh, so it basically mimics the, um, a natural pesticide, uh, which is produced by chrysanthemum flowers. And so one of the active ingredients in this is permethrin, um, in case anybody is interested uh, in knowing the specific details of that. We do follow all labels, so the label is the law. We apply accordingly, um, especially according to EPA and CDC standards. Um, so we have many different things that govern us in order to... Um, I guess, enable us to use these types of pesticides that we have. So uh, as long as everything is properly applied according to the label, it's safe for the environment, safe for humans. Um, And uh, like I said, we follow the label and we uh, do the best we can with that. Okay. Thank you so much for being here with us. Last question before we go. With the, you know, recent fogging, there were some community members who were able to opt out of the spraying. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. when it comes to long-range planning, you know, how will the district address, um, you know, those areas? Does it need to come back around and and double-check to make sure that there aren't mosquito breeding grounds? Hope that question makes sense. Yeah, so um, for those folks that opted out and those who, you know, didn't, we checked all of the yards within the area that we had our fogging boundary, at least for the past couple times. Okay. Um, and I know the crews are, they go back and they check regularly. Since the mosquitoes life cycle, it can be from about five to seven days. Um, it can be quicker or slower depending on how hot it is and the temperature as well. Um, so we'll try and plan accordingly to hit up properties, you know, within or right outside that time of when we last checked it. Um, and, uh, of course, too, like I said, it, it also helps if people are out there uh, inspecting their own yards as well, maybe beat us to the punch. Okay. All right. We've been speaking with Michelle Raybine, the manager of the Moab Mosquito Abatement District. Michelle, any, any last thoughts on mosquitoes or this particular mosquito, the 80s Egypti, that um, has been a cause of concern for the district this year? Um, we just ask here at the abatement district that, you know, if you guys uh, have are reporting any standing water, let us know. Um, if you're being bit by mosquitoes, let us know. Um, we we want to know these things so we can help and do the best we can uh, to protect everybody's health. Okay. So, yeah. Thanks so much, Michelle. And um, if people want to get in touch uh, with the district, if they want to make a comment, what is the phone number over there? 
Um, our phone number is 435-259-7161. Okay, thanks so much for being here with us on This Week in Moab. We appreciate it. All right, thank you. That was uh, Michelle Rabine, the manager of the Moab Mosquito Abatement District, um, speaking to us about uh, the recent concerning mosquito that they've been um, fogging for and has caused a little bit of um, public controversy for it. Um, It sounds like they will be doing some long-range planning this season, so if people want to get involved, um, they can contact the district. You're listening to This Week in Moab here on KZMU um, 90.1 and 106.7 FM. This is Molly Marcello, the News and Public Affairs Director here at the station, um, filling in for Howard Trenholm on This Week in Moab um, with a few guests. Uh, My next guest is in the house. Do you mind uh, introducing yourself to make sure we've got you on the right mic and it sounds okay? Okay. um, I'm Kevin Walker, and I'm on the County Commission. Perfect. Thanks, Kevin. So Kevin is here um, to talk about a public lands bill process. Is that kind of how we're framing this? Um, Is that fair to say? I think public lands bill may may be more generally public lands proposal because, you know, one could imagine that it ends up not being a bill, but, you know, some other sort of thing. Okay. So this is something that um, you and some of your fellow commissioners have been working on for months now, it seems. Um, Can you take us back? Yeah, let me try to put it in context. So okay. as we all know, we're, you know, we have the good fortune in Moab of being surrounded by public lands, right. which, you know, BLM, Forest Service, National Park Service. Sometimes I'll just for shorthand call it BLM, but I'm really talking about all the land management agencies. And, um, and you know, a very crucial question is how are, how are these lands managed? You mm. know, where where are there roads? Where are there not roads? Where is there oil and gas drilling? Where, you know, et cetera. You know, big long list of things. And um, most of the decisions are made through planning by the BLM or one of the other fe- federal land management agencies. Right. But occasionally, um, the president or Congress will intervene. Um, you know, the president intervenes by creating a national monument, mm-hmm. which happened in San Juan County recently to our mm-hmm. south. Um, Mm-hmm. And then w- within Utah, there have been a couple of um, countywide public lands bills. The first first one was in Washington County about 10 years ago, and more recently, just a couple of years ago, in Emory County, just right. to our west. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, Grand County's, the, I, the idea is perhaps Grand County would want to do something similar to what Washington County and Emory County have, have already done. Now, the processes in Washington and Emory counties, you know, they were driven by conflict. Is that right? I don't, I don't know that, that, you know, each one has its own unique a- attributes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a little, bit, a little bit hazy on the history of the Washington County sure. Bill, so let me try not to say too much about sure. that. Um, in Emory County, they had a proposal kicking around for quite a few years right. before it actually started to move. Mm-hmm. Um, and... But I, I think in, in many, yeah, I, I, I hesitate to generalize about, you know, why people start this. But, but you know, there are various interest groups who have different ideas about how public land should be managed. Usually they're, you know, debating or battling or whatever in the context mm-hmm. of resource management plans and similar mm-hmm. things. But, but occasionally, you know, they try to sort of settle the disputes through legislation. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot more flexibility in legislation than going through this sort of long bureaucratic process with the planning. 
So Emory County has been the most recent um, in the state of Utah. Um, that was a bill that was helped out or sponsored by um, our representative, John Curtis. That's correct. Um, tell us about um, why Grand County Commissioners got interested in um, doing something similar for our region. Well, I, th- I think the two big motivations, you know, so I, I th- yeah. The first question to ask is, you know, why why do this at all? Right. You know, why not just keep going with the kind of um, <laughs> why management why process torture and, yourself? <laughs> <laughs> right, um, and I I think um, you know based on conversations on the commission, um, I think we have two pretty non-controversial m- motivations for doing this. One mm. is that we want to make sure that future generations can enjoy a landscape that's just as great as the one Mm -hmm. that we enjoy today. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, you might think that if you want it, you just do nothing and then it'll stay the same. But, Mm -hmm. you know, it's more complicated than that because of increasing visitation and things like that. Sure. Um, The second is um, a little more specific. It's, It's that we've got, you know, hundreds of thousands of acres of pristine or or semi-pristine lands that are very popular, very scenic, get a lot of visitation, Mm -hmm. and the local BLM office does not have sufficient resources to manage them very well. Um, If you compare, um, you know, management staff per acre in Arches Mm -hmm. National Park versus just outside the park, it's it's really... um, it's a, it's, a, it's a stark comparison. You know, mm-hmm. the, the BLM, even the park is struggling, you know. <laughs> yeah, so, even yeah. the park. And the park does have more, vis- yeah. more visitors, so it's right. not a, yep, one has to be careful with the comparison. But I, I think if you look, you know, across the entire country, parks, BLM, land, forest service, and you look at visitors per on-the-ground management staff, mm-hmm. I think Moab is, you know, has the highest ratio of that. And so one, one thing we would like to do with the bill is try to make it so that we have more resources, i.e. more money, mm-hmm. to hire more people to manage the crowds and make sure that the scenery is being preserved. And how do we get more money? Is that by changing designations? Yeah, well, there's, I mean, it'd be nice if, you know, in theory, Congress could just say, you know, more money will go there, but, mm-hmm. um, and one could look for some kind of direct thing. But the the most practical way to do it is, yeah, through a different designation. So they're often in these um, congressional and public lands bills, they will establish things called national conservation Mm -hmm. areas. The BLM has a special fund for managing things like national conservation areas and and, and a few other designations, wild and scenic rivers, wilderness, things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, and, And so that, you know, it's not, it's probably not enough money, but it's a good start or getting mm-hmm. more resources here. And if, and if you look at our neighbors, like at how much money is going um, just to our south around Monticello because of the Bears Ears National Monument or just to our east in Grand Junction mm-hmm. because of Colorado Canyons National Monument, they're better funded, and that's largely because they have NCA or, or um, National Monument designations. Mm-hmm. So I think those designations will help us get the funds that we need. I don't have a map in front of me, but I know that there are five distinct areas that the group is sort of looking at to create NCAs in Grant County. Is there a way to describe these areas? Sure, I, I can okay. I can give it a try. Give to, it a shot. You know, if we were on TV, I'd just flash a map or something like <laughs> right. that. Paint us, paint us a mental picture. Okay, so um, 
So I'll, I'll start out with the, the easy parts. So okay. to the far north, we have the book cliffs, mm -hmm. and there's a proposal for an NCA around the book cliffs. Book cliffs are a little bit atypical for Grand County. It doesn't receive very heavy, vis heavy visitation. Right. It has a much lower road density. Um, it's kind of where the big mm -hmm. empty spaces are. It's also, you know, the, the geology is different. It's not the right. classic canyon country, but still mm -hmm. a very special and important area. Um, and then to our south, there's La Salle Mountains going up in the peaks um, and foothills. Okay. Um, and, and then I, I said the count was either five or six. Also part of our tentative proposal is an ex, a modest expansion of Arches National Park. Okay. Uh, mostly on the eastern boundary. Mm -hmm. um, this is nothing big or dramatic, but just trying to refine the, the boundaries of the park so that they make better sense from a management point of view. Um, I, you know, the Walt Dabney has a slideshow where he gives the history of right. the monument and then later the park. And mm -hmm. it, it's really impressive how many times the boundaries have been adjusted. So mm -hmm. we're keeping a, a long tradition there. Mm -hmm. um, and then so in kind of uh, the, the central south of I-70 part of the county, if in the far west, there's a labyrinth canyon and side canyons of the Green River. Right. Okay. Um, and then toward the east, there are there's a sort of Dolores and Colorado mm -hmm. area. Um, and then in the middle are what we're just calling Moab canyons, but it's the areas that are closest to Moab that tend to receive the heaviest visitation. Mm -hmm. So the, the front country or mm -hmm. maybe middle country rather than the back country. Okay. So with this proposal, as it is now sort of blanket Grand County in NCAs? Um, not quite, but I mean, it's, it's, it's a fair amount. It might cover maybe a little over half the county. Um, areas mm -hmm. not covered include, there's a large block of um, school tr trust land up in the Book Cliffs. There's the Uinta mm -hmm. Indian Reservation up in the Book Cliffs. Mm -hmm. um, there are places like, you know, Spanish Valley and Castle Valley with large chunks of private land. And mm -hmm. then to the, there's also a bunch of state land um, to the east side of the LaSalle's. So th okay. those are some of the areas that, that are not covered here. Okay. And to get back to this uh, question about what oh, is... Oh, and I, and I left out the biggest one, sorry. Oh, sure, yeah. The, the area along I-70, both north and south, you know, what one might call the Cisco Desert. Right. Okay, the I-70 corridor, pretty yeah. much. Okay. Um, so what is a national conservation area, or what can be a national conservation area? I understand that they can kind of be... They can be different. Yeah, no, it, it's, it's, I think of a national conservation area as being sort of a, a blank sheet of paper. And, you know, so there's nothing, there are no statutes that says in a national conservation, in all national conservation areas, you know, X, Y, and Z mm -hmm. will happen and A, B, and C will not happen. That's not true. When, when Congress creates a national conservation area, the legislation that creates it specifies what kind of values they're trying to protect and mm. the rules. Okay. So it's in saying that we're designating a national conservation area, that that's actually not, you're not, you know, you're deciding that this area needs enhanced management. I, I don't know of any national conservation areas that are open to like hard rock mining or new oil and gas leasing. So you're probably mm -hmm. making some decisions about that, but you're definitely not making decisions about motorized recreation or non-motorized. Mm -hmm. You know, there are NCAs that have motorized recreation emphasis areas within them. So that's something that's decided separately. So when I, I characterized some of these tentative decisions as non-controversial, it was in the sense that I, I think the big controversy in Grand County is around motorized and non-motorized recreation and other mm -hmm. you know, quiet versus less quiet activities. And um, 
saying that we're going to designate an NCA doesn't really nail down that question. So an NCA does not necessarily prohibit motorized recreation within its boundaries. Yeah, not, not at all. Okay. Yeah, well, most NCAs have a road network in them. Now, I know this question has brought, been brought up at county commission meetings before, but I'm forgetting the answer to it. So this is why I'm asking you, why, why not a national recreation area? Um, well, a national recreation area, like a national conservation, is, is a blank piece of paper. So there, there's not very much difference between them. Well, there, right. There's the name. But then the crucial difference mm -hmm. from our point of view is um, I mentioned a few minutes ago that NCAs, national conservation areas, mm -hmm. have, get, have a special funding source within the BLM. Mm -hmm. That's not true for national recreation areas. Okay. And so basically we've got two blank sheets of paper, and the difference is the name and the other differences one comes with money and one doesn't and i think we decided we don't really care about the name um and we do care about the funding so that's why we're preferring ncas okay and listeners we're, we're speaking with commissioner um kevin walker um from grand county and kevin and among other of his fellow commissioners are looking into a public lands bill proposal. Um, now, tell us about the politics of this proposal. When do we get um, our federal legislators on board? Well, what's off, what happened with Emory County mm -hmm. is um, the county came up with a proposal first mm -hmm. on, their, on their own, okay. um, you know, in consult consultation with various other people. And then they approached Congressman Curtis to sponsor the bill. Mm -hmm. um, and what ultimately passed was actually quite a bit different from Emory County's original proposal. You know, once it goes into Congress, you know, counties like Emory County or Grand County don't mm -hmm. have any formal role in the process. I mean, they, they can comment and say they like this or they don't like that, but at the end of the day, they don't have a vote. Um, so we're sort of in that very early phase of what Emory County went through maybe 10 mm -hmm. years ago of just trying to decide, you know, mm -hmm. what, what do we think makes the best sense for Grand County? Mm -hmm. After that, we would see if Congress, Congressman Curtis is interested in sponsoring it. He's you know, indicated tentative interest, but mm -hmm. of course you know, he can't say for sure until he sees the proposal. You know, mm -hmm. there, there might have to be some give and take. You know, who knows? It, you know, it gets, mm -hmm. you know, the closer you get to it actually happening, the more frenzied and crazy the negotiation and changes tends to be. So. We're in the early calm stages, I think, of that. The early calm stages where we have five general na national conservation areas and potentially an arches expansion. Mm -hmm. um, now, tell us about um, public involvement. Yeah, so we've, um, I mean, we, we want a lot of public involvement, and we envision sort of multiple stages. And, of course, you know, people can send us comment at any time. Um, you know, as soon as we got started, we reached out to some people in the community mm -hmm. representing various interest groups and just asked them for a sort of an initial, you know, sort of VIP comments mm -hmm. because we, we knew they, they you know, had knowledge about public lands issues and um, probably had an opinion. Mm -hmm. um, now that we've taken, you know, we've done maybe the first 10% of fleshing out a proposal, we're getting ready to have a, a second round of public comment where we'll ask a lot more specific questions. I, I was hoping mm -hmm. um, to have that sort of the website collecting public that would collect public comment done last week so I could announce it on this radio show, but <laughs> I think it's a busy time of year and that isn't mm -hmm. quite ready yet, but I'm hoping sometime this week okay. and then we'll get the word out. Um, then, you know, based on the input we get on that, well, I think the next step is to come up with a more detailed proposal 
you know, something that's close to final and then do yet another round of public comment. And this, mm -hmm. this time people will have something much more specific and concrete to give us feedback on. Okay. Um, and, and then finally, you know, we make a decision. Um, I think we've been, you know, we haven't totally decided the forms of public comment. In, in my experience, both on the Planning Commission and on the County Commission, mm -hmm. um, written public comment, especially in re responding sp to specific questions, tends to be the most useful and the most high-quality comments. But, um, you know, e everything is on the table. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people just want to show up, right? Yeah. And sometimes. Yeah. And state their mind, or maybe they're a better public speaker than they are. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that, that's a good point. Maybe right. some most, some people express themselves better verbally than they do in writing. Ex so Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so there's not, um, besides the website that is hopefully going to come out imminently, there's not like a hard timeline of when this has to get done. No. Um, I mean, there is the congressional calendar to think of. If mm -hmm. it's going to be introduced, you know, this session, then, you know, we should hurry up. I, I'm hoping we can get it finished up sometime in the fall. Right. Now, you've said that, you know, there are various reasons for doing this and going through this process. Um, one is hopefully to get more funding for certain areas of our county that desperately need it. Um, another is for, you know, certain degrees of certainty or protection um, for those areas. Are What issues do you hope will sort of get sussed and sorted out through this process? So yeah, there there are several. Okay. Um, I've I've mentioned well, I've I've mentioned the main ones, but let me go over them again. Yeah. Um, so one one question has to do with um, you know extractive resources. You mm -hmm. know, are, which you know where on public lands in Grand County do we want to see drilling for oil and glass? Where do we want to see hard rock mining? If and of course you know a lot of you know the actual potential for those things is is pretty uncertain but you know, people mm -hmm. are always speculating um I, I think that's a pretty a relatively easy question because I, I think most people agree that you know by far our most important resource in grand county is the scenery and recreational opportunities and natural values so i i don't see a lot of appetite for trying to encourage or expand oil and gas drilling for example and then of course there's global warming to think about you know, when, when President Biden was campaigning, he promised in oil and gas drilling on all public lands. Mm. Um, remains to be seen whether that's going to happen, but it, I don't think it makes sense in Grand County in new areas. Now, now we, of course, we have existing oil wells in Grand County, and we're not proposing to close any of those. Mm -hmm. So I'm, it's more like just an expansion into new areas that we're talking about. Okay, so, so mineral, mineral development is one yeah. question. Yeah, one question. Uh -huh. um, I think the really hard question is, you know, Grand County, especially the area around Moab, has become a lot more crowded than it used to be. Mm -hmm. I remember 30 years ago, um, you know, my favorite, some of my favorite places to run and hike were also Jeep trails. And there were few enough people here that we could all get along on sort of the same network. Because even though I would typically see tire tracks, I would, and it was very rare to run into an actual Jeep. And, you know, just like it was rare for them to run to an actual hiker or jogger, mm -hmm. you know, the people, the things are sparse. Mm -hmm. And and we could have, and also 30 years ago, um, it was legal to drive off trail. There was no um, mm -hmm. no stay on the road rule. Wow. That, did, that didn't happen until the mid-90s. Okay. Um, and so, but it's clear with the, the kind of visitation levels we're getting now that that sort of anything goes type of management doesn't work anymore. And it's also clear that we can't, you know, those Jeep trails that I loved to run 30 years ago, I don't run them anymore because I know it's 
is going to be full of noise and exhaust fumes and things like that. So we need there needs to be more zoning. You know, it's you know similar to just managing private land. If you if in sparsely populated areas, you tend to have very lax and permissive zoning because people live far apart and they're not interfering with their neighbors very much and there's just not need for rules. Mm -hmm. But when population densities get higher, you know, you have to you know, in order for people to get along and not interfere with each other, you need more rules. And I, I think we're facing an analogous situation on public lands. Mm -hmm. um, so that's one thing that I'm mm -hmm. hoping we can sort out. Now, of course, the BLM addresses that in resource management plans, but mm -hmm. I think the BLM has been a little bit slow to react. To some, you know, we've had a big uptick in visitation here, and I think the just you know for various reasons, some internal, some external, you know, revising. Mm -hmm. um, management plans is a long and cumbersome business, and and they're underfunded. You know, they that's always the first thing that a BLM employee will tell you is that they'd love to do this, but they don't have enough money, and that's you know kind of a legitimate reason. Mm -hmm. So we're we're hope so that's one thing we're hoping to do is some kind of fair allocation between um, different forms of recreation because I do you know it's a big county, and I think there's room. You know, I you know, there's going to be jeeping and motorized recreation here forever mm -hmm. and i'm hoping there will also be great hiking opportunities forever and great mountain biking opportunities forever but that's not going to happen if we just stand back and say everybody can go wherever they want to and we need to say mm -hmm. this er this area this canyon this is for quite you know this is for hiking and this area is for hiking and biking and this area has a higher density of motorized trails so i think that kind of decision is one of the big things that could We'll come out of this. So you see a need for zoomed in um, hike by hike or mountain bike by mountain bike trail sort of level planning? Well, ultimately, yes. Now, I don't I don't think it's practical to do all that in legislation, you know, mm -hmm. especially if we're planning on getting it done you know, this year rather than you know, two mm -hmm. years from now. But you, one can do a, you know, the legislation can, can certainly specify that certain high focus areas you know, it can it can say this road is closed. This one shall remain open. Mm. Um, but then that, and then for the ones that remain, it can say, and then the BLM shall do a, a planning process and take the following things into account and come up with a plan that satisfies these these criteria. Right. So it can be a, a combination of sort of things that are assured in the legislation, like if someone knows, you know, this Jeep Safari Trail will definitely be open. The, you know, nothing in, mm -hmm. in a future plan is going to change that. Um, but you know, but then some of the planning can be put off to the future, and, and that's typical for other public land spills. Okay. So again, listener, we're speaking with Commissioner Kevin Walker about a public lands uh, bill proposal for Grand County. Um, you know, we talked about where the public kind of fits in with making comments or providing input. What about the current land management agencies like the BLM or you know, SITLA, the State Trust Lands Administration, where do they start factoring in? Okay, well, two, two very different answers. Um, <laughs> okay. okay, so so for the current, um, you know, there, there are rule, federal employees are not allowed to get involved in legislation. Mm. So I certainly, you know, if I go and talk to a BLM employee and ask, you know, where are archaeological sites that need to be preserved or mm -hmm. what are your thoughts about travel management planning and th those sorts of things, um, they can answer it, but, but once I start to say, and this is, has to do with some legislation we're trying to draft, you know, right. then they will be very careful and say, well, I don't, you know, I have I to can't, stay. Can't be involved. Okay. Right, yeah. So mm -hmm. so we want them to be as 
involved as they legally can. But mm-hmm. um, so, so I imagine, sorry to interrupt, but I imagine that in that case you would take the current resource management plan as a guide. Um, it, it's certainly, so, you know, the situation on the ground right now is, yeah. is, is, a, is a starting point. Yes. Okay. Um, so, but we also have um, some recently retired federal landmen, and they're, they're not bound by this. And so um, they have been very helpful. Um, I, you know, I'll mention you know, a few names. Russell yeah. Koch is, has helped out quite a lot in mm-hmm. this process. Walt Dabney and Jim Webster have um, dusted off their proposal for the Arches expansion. And, um, and it's great to have um, you know, the, these people with the sort of institutional knowledge that they have help, sure. helping out with this. Okay. Now, you also mentioned CITLA. I did. Um, and typically what happens in these bills is they like to trade out their isolated school trust sections for things that are more easily developed. Um, but another alternative is just for them to get cash. Um, mm-hmm. And that, that's what happened with um, Grand Staircase Escalante National Monument. And my understanding is that you know, because of all the land trade processes that have been queued up in other you know, with Bears Ears National Monument mm-hmm. and the Emory County Lands Bill, that perhaps we're running out of suitable federal properties to trade, and so maybe mm-hmm. now we, we may tr- try to shift the emphasis to cash instead of a land trade. Dollars, yes. okay. Yeah, as, as if they were selling them to the federal government. I uh, see, okay, all right. So they do have, they have done cash trades in the past. Yeah, Grand Grand, Staker, Grand mm-hmm. Staircase Escalante National Monument is an example. Yeah. Okay. All right. So this is, um, you know, a long process to create a public lands bill proposal. Um, you mentioned that one potential NCA is in the book cliffs. I'd imagine um, commi- commissioners might want to make a final decision on a potential highway that would connect Grand County um, through the book cliffs. Um, can you, do you have a comment on that? On the relationship between the proposed Book Cliffs Highway and a potential Book Cliffs National Conservation Area? Exactly. Yeah, I, I think, um, yeah, there might be a relation. The, the area where the highway pro- is proposed in East Canyon is on the, the eastern edge of mm-hmm. the potential monument boundaries we're looking at. So I, I don't, I, I think if there were a designation to Book Cliffs, there's a, there's a chance that it would, um, you know, not, not allow for a highway. Okay. And sensing from you that a lot is on the table right now well it's 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 hard to know but but these like i i think i forget whether it was eight or ten years that Uh you know between emory county coming up with a proposal and it actually happening and one could imagine that it didn't happen so this is a long uncertain process but i do think there is value in the county you know crafting a proposal even if the chances of it passing through congress in the next two years is, is small Mm-hmm. Um, I think it can be a blueprint for, you know, we're often asked to um, collaborate or, you know, give input to BLM, Forest Service, et cetera, mm-hmm. on their management plans, and this would be sort of a blueprint for that. There are also things that the Biden administration can do on its own. You know, the big dramatic one is National mm-hmm. Monument designations, but there are various other things. So I, th- I think it's worth going through this exercise, even if it's sort of a, a long, slow row ahead. You know, it's just hard to know in advance. Yeah, and with that, I should say that I know the Grand County Commission has passed a general vision statement um, around public lands. Is that right? That's right. And if I <laughs> if I were on the ball, I would have had it in front of me. It's so short, I could actually read it on the air. <laughs> but, right. 
What are some general concepts that you remember from that vision statement? Um, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to attempt to look it up on my phone right now. But, yeah. you know, part of it is um, pre- preserving mm-hmm. land for future generations. And, and that's preserving in a very general sense. That, that includes, mm-hmm. it, it means preserving wilderness. It also means preserving Jeep trails and things like that, mm-hmm. you know. But, you know, in a, in a way that they're enjoyable. You know, peop- we want, you know, even motorized recreation routes can get too crowded um, and or too you know, too many people driving off trail. And we want to sort of see a lot of them open, but better managed. Right. Um, it's things like wildlife, archaeology, water resources. So, yeah, I, I think I've, I've probably hit, hit the high points. Um, we can include the vision statement when we put um, this show on our website at kzme.org later this week. Um, you've been tuned into This Week in Moab. I'm Molly Marcello, the News and Public Affairs Director here at the station, filling in for Howard. We've been talking to Grand County Commission Kevin Walker um, about the very early stages of a potential public lands bill for Grand County. Kevin, in the few minutes that we have left, is there anything um, that you think is worth mentioning or what listeners um, should know about this process um, right now? Well, I, I do invite people to pay attention and look for announcements of, um, you know, ways to provide public input. Of course, you know, you can send an email to the county commission anytime you want to, and mm-hmm. that, that counts. That's great. But we're going to try to set up a web page with some more focused questions, about, okay. you know, asking about boundaries, asking about, you know, management and of specific types of resources. So I, I do hope that we'll get a lot of participation in that. Um, and... Yeah, and and I think the last question on the sur- the survey, which will be online soon, is just you know anything else you know. So there's mm-hmm. probably some, maybe some things we haven't thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, let, let me you know another another aspect of this. Probably not the biggest one, but something that often has, happens in public lands bill is land trades other than Sitla. Okay. For example, um, it's very difficult to manage the power dam area because of the crazy patchwork of land ownership there. And there's certain, like, the BLM is not allowed to charge for parking. Mm-hmm. And, right. um, you know, one thing the bill could do is just rearrange the land ownership there. For example, maybe mm. the, the parking lot belongs to the county and the mm. open, you know, streamlines the sure. management. Um, so solving maybe current issues within the management structure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So there, there's there's opportunities for small things like that. So. Okay. Great. Well, thank you so much, Kevin, for being here with us. Um, You said a survey is coming soon, a website is coming soon, and um, if it's happening um, this week, we'll definitely get that on um, kzumi.org so people can find it. And I'm sure this uh, public lands bill proposal uh, process will be showing up in Grand County Commission meetings through the coming months. Yeah, I I think it'll be on the agenda every every now and then. at some point, we'll probably have a workshop for more detailed discussions. Sure. All right. You're in for it. <laughs> this, is, this is, I know, um, you know, our listeners, our community members really are engaged in, in this uh, process when it comes to public lands. Thank you so much, Kevin, for being here. Uh, my pleasure.